Welcome to the Gaze Ahead podcast. I'm your host, Melanie McClare, and today I am talking to internationally renowned coach, author, and speaker, Rudy Ricksteins. Rudy is a leader called upon by leaders. He's been awarded the top five coach by Thrive Global alongside people like Tony Robbins. He's been honored by Business Insider as a top 20 thought leader alongside people like Deepak Chopra and Dr. Joe Dispenza. Rudy has consulted and or coached startup entrepreneurs, creatives, public figures, all the way through to billionaire CEOs on living a more intentional and purposeful life. In this show, we unpack the roles of the mind, body, and energy in business. We talk about the effects of fear in decision-making, and Rudy gives us some advice on where to start to drive positive change in our lives. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite platform, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Rudy, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I greatly appreciate you and your time. Listen, I just can't wait to introduce my audience to you and your career. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to where you are today? That is a uh, a short question, but it has a really loaded response. You know, the I think the best response I can give for your audience right now is that my life has just so beautifully and perfectly fallen into place and for every listener listening, your life is perfectly beautifully falling into place, regardless of where you are and where you ultimately want your life to go. And I had an idea in my mind of what I thought I wanted to achieve. And then life continued to happen and happen and happen that led me down very different paths than what I'd initially set out to achieve. But at the core of it, I've always wanted to be able to create an impact and touch people. And so the reason I said your question was so loaded was I remember being 16 years old and saying, you know, I want to create an impact in the world and I want to stand on a stage. I want to be a Tony Robbins and I want to, to go into businesses and uplift and inspire, but I was deeply insecure. And so I thought, well, who's going to listen to little old Rudy? You know, who's this guy? He's never done anything. He's 16. He's broke. He's not smart. He's all these things. And so I made a goal that I was going to be very successful. And immediately I threw myself into the business world and um, worked myself to a bone. I can tell you all the things to do and all the things never to do. Uh, and through that, by default, learned some efficiencies and how to be able to move yourself forward into life. And so I created businesses and then sold them and created more startups and then exited those and then created another business and left that. And then eventually... I was given an opportunity to test my philosophies, principles, and beliefs in corporate America, but not in little businesses that I was responsible for, meaning my own company with my own money. This was now really big business with really, really big uh, stakes. And I took exactly the same principles and applied them into these companies and saw the same results. When I say results, what I mean is that the records copied and pasted from one entity to another to drive very similar behaviors inside business. The thing is the stakes were so much bigger, but the rewards were exponentially bigger as well. And so that gave me the confidence to really take what it is that I'm doing today and apply it into people's lives. But your question was really, what was my business life? And that was a little boy learning to gain confidence in who he is, where he's going, what he's doing, what he can see, what his skills are and being able to trust his gut instinct and to be able to apply those to life to be able to benefit and get the rewards from them. And so 
the real answer to the question is, you know, today I simply just support people to be able to see the brilliance that already lies within them, within their companies. I really help identify gaps and breaks in what either a person or an organization has where they are so close to a project, they don't have the ability to see what's stopping them or what's holding them back. And fundamentally, I go in and bridge that gap, or I close the gap, or I give them skill sets or trainings to be able to support them to overcome those. And it ultimately always ends in the fundamentals of people. You know, we're always people in every single business and everywhere you go, regardless of what industry and what we do, we're always appealing to people first and foremost. And so my life has really set me up to be a person in service of people. Mm-hmm. You touched on something that I think will resonate with many and that, well, it's tagged imposter syndrome where this idea of, well, why would I be okay at this? And little old me, can you unpack that for us? Is that something that you overcame over time? Do you still struggle with it? Tell me about your journey with imposter syndrome. You know, what I think is going to answer your question better, and and I always try and filter a question through what is the audience going to most gain? And that is that 85% of all CEOs suffer from imposter syndrome. And I want you to really think about that. You know, you've got really big companies being run by really incredibly powerful, brilliant minds, and 85% of them question whether they qualify to make the decisions they make. Now, That number, if you just think about that, applies into every single area of our life and to every single person, regardless of what it is we're doing, we all have these limiting beliefs that come up. And the reaction is not to the limiting belief coming up, but to how we choose to react to that limiting belief. And so to answer your question, really, you know, we're going to talk about how limiting beliefs are formed, where they're formed, at the age they're formed, and how they create patterns and those patterns that get repeated And so for every single person over the age of seven, they have created a rule book with which they use to govern their life. And that rule book was given to them when the brain doesn't have the ability to process rational or logical thoughts. So if somebody says to you, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, then that becomes a belief system. When someone says to you, good things happen to uh, good people or bad things happen to good people, or, you know, my dad would have his running list of them. And those become your dominant ways of governing how you view the world. And you're now wanting to protect yourself from either causing pain or the possibility of potentially having pleasure. But the brain's going to override anything that could cause pleasure to prevent pain. And so Mm -hmm. when you have a limiting belief sitting behind a desk in your 40s, your 50s, what you're really doing is triggering that limiting belief that was formulated when you were a child under the age of seven before you could say, well, that's not true, or I'm not entirely sure I believe that, or what is the evidence I have to actually reinforce that that statement isn't true? We've just adopted it as a fact. And so the brain runs that entire process subconsciously. Mm -hmm. The average adult has anywhere from you know, 35,000 to 50,000 unconscious thoughts every single day. And most of those are past memories, past triggers of things that happened to you when you were a child, when that girl or that boy left you, or your friend took your lunch and didn't give it back, whatever those circumstances are, and they play over and over and over. And so when you are in a business environment, And you're wanting to make a decision and the stakes are really high and you start to feel that feeling of, oh, what if this goes wrong? What if I can't do this? What if people are going to laugh at me? Do I have the right answer? 
it's really just touching on some of those traumas that you had formulated as a child that were then further down the line reinforced when you gave a public speech in class and then in college or when you walked across the bar to talk to a cute guy or a cute girl and you got rejected and all of those stack onto who it is that you get to become today. And so what I like to, to support people with today is that when that thought comes up is to begin asking more empowered questions. And so if you do feel the imposter syndrome, if you do feel the feeling of what if I can't, what if I shouldn't, I, am I good enough, is to just pause, take a really deep breath and say, okay, well, am I? Or is that question that I'm having in my mind even true? Can I find any evidence to either support that or discredit that statement? And by asking more empowered questions, you're opening your mind up to actually receiving significantly more uh, data to be able to make more educated decisions. We don't have enough time in a podcast episode to really dive into it, but the brain picks up anywhere between, you know, 1 million to 10 million bits of data every single second. And we are only ever consciously aware, meaning we're thinking about it less than 50 bits out of 1 to 10 million. And so if we're only presently aware of 50 bits of information that's around us at any given time, how are we supposed to make educated decisions? And the only way to bring more than 50 bits of information in is to override the subconscious patterns, which is thinking on your behalf based on your past, is to ask a question. When you ask a question that says, oh, I'm feeling like this, is that even true? When you ask, is it even true? The brain is scrambling at all the information around you to say, well, is that true? So if you are running a company or you're about to make a big decision and you get nervous, anxious, worried, just say, have I ever made decisions that have worked out? What's the worst thing that can happen? What's the best thing that can happen? Do I know that I'm qualified to make this? Do I know I have the people around me to make that decision? And now you start to draw new information. And then you can you know, create your lists of whether it is or whether it isn't. Uh, and that's one part of, of the actual pie. Mm -hmm. The better question to answer, and, and you had asked me, do I suffer from imposter syndrome? And the answer is absolutely yes, because everyone on the planet does. Yeah. You know, I will be about to walk out on stage and I'll have a momentary thought that just says, oh, what if they don't like me? What if I'm not ready? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't? And then I have to look back at every other time I've ever walked out on stage or every other time I've ever done something and it's been successful. Then I get back into it and I run out on stage in more empowered version. Mm -hmm. But the real thing that I teach is how to be in tune with who you are. This is a conversation that's not had in business very often, but it is one of the most empowered conversations that you can ever have. And I teach people to get to know themselves. When you know who you are, intimately who you are, what you feel like in your own body, in your own mind, when you don't have heightened states of emotional stress coming from a spouse, business partners, boardroom, stresses, clients, and you simply stay attuned to who you are and you align your mental body, your physical body, and your energetic body, you're going to always make the right decision. You're always going to make a decision with information that supersedes anything and everything that's around you. Mm -hmm. And that's really the most powerful person that you can become is a person that knows who they are responding to life and situations purposefully, carefully, calculatedly. I'm even going to say intentionally. And all of those words are very similar, but they really are very different. But put together, they create what I like to refer to as the most empowered person that you can get. And that's because all of the power lies within each of us as people. And when we can do that, we have the power and the potential to lead other people in a direction of where we want our life or our business to go. And that's how leaders align people into their business. But they first and foremost have to know who they are, 
what they're doing, why they're doing it. And then when there's emotion in the room, recognizing that emotion isn't theirs and staying true to who they are so they can think clearly, rationally, logically, and also create space to allow inspiration to be able to flow through uh, you know, to them and then obviously to the circumstance or situation that they're they're working with. And that is really the most beautiful part of being able to do this work is to help see people align with themselves more clearly, get in touch and in tune with who they are. And so then they start to create unbelievable and profound shifts in their life, regardless of what those limiting beliefs or thoughts are that happen to pop up from time to time. Mm. One thing that seems to happen a lot in the entrepreneurial landscape and startup landscape is the shoulds. So you compare yourself to other CEOs, you compare yourself to other startups or competitors that are operating at a certain pace. And then the shoulds start speaking to you of, I should be doing this, or I should be doing that. And those come from a place, in my opinion, of fear. So how do you overcome that? How do you overcome the shoulds versus what's inherent in you and you mentioned feeling, what was it? The body, the emotions, and the mind. What was it? Those three things to make up a whole person. Your questions are so beautiful. And I, I just, I have to commend you because you're really serving your audience here today. There's three parts to every single person. Mm-hmm. Whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, there are three parts to everyone. You have a mental body. The mental body is where all of your thoughts are. You're having a thought, you're thinking a thought, you're receiving inspiration. Someone says something, you're calculating. So you're very mental, you're in your head. But you also have a physical body. That's the structure that walks into a room. You're 5'8", you're 5'2", you're 5'7". You know, that's the being of the person that walks in. But you have an energetic body that extends approximately 4 to 15 feet past you in all directions. That energetic body is speaking on your behalf at all times. Now, half your audience is thinking, wow, that's crazy. What a load of nonsense. But I want to prove it to you. Have you ever in your life walked into a room? Let's say it was your mom and your dad and you were a child or whoever was raising you. You walked into a room and you could feel there was tension in that room. There was no evidence of a fight. There was no evidence of an argument. They look at you. They smile. They hug. They get down on their knees. They give you an encouraging look. But you can feel Feel something transpired in that room prior to you walking in. That is you walking into someone's energy, into a heightened state. Mm -hmm. Every single person that has a thought, every person that has a thought, that thought chemically alters the human body. So the thought alters the physical body. Mm -hmm. The thought and the physical reaction to the body alters the energetic body, meaning it makes that body have a frequency that vibrates high or low. When you walk into a room and someone is charismatic, magnetic, people just want to, they want to gravitate to that person. They want to spend time near them. That person has a heightened, elevated vibrational state. Their mind, their body, and their energy is all in alignment. It's in congruence and it feels good. So we want to spend time with someone that feels good because we're going to draw energy from that good person. Well, in reverse, you can put a thousand really positive, motivated, excited people in a room and send in one bad apple, and that bad apple is going to impact the other people in that room. It's going to negatively affect or poison the room. And so what I challenge people to really think about is what are the thoughts that are happening in their mind? Because those thoughts alter their feelings. Their thoughts and their feelings drive all human behavior. I just gave you the secret recipe to life. Thoughts produce (laughs) feelings. Thoughts and feelings drive all of your behavior. Mm. So if you right now are sitting at a desk and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm just not good enough. I've just been promoted. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this or this is a startup or should I or shouldn't I or what can I? Are we moving fast enough? 
all of those thoughts that you beautifully labeled into fear, well, that fear has a feeling. What does fear feel like in your body? Is that a heightened vibration? Is that a low vibration? Is yeah. that anxiousness? Does it cause does that cause calm? Well, when you feel that, that becomes your dominant way of being. So you're making decisions. Let me be more clear. You're not making decisions. You are reacting to circumstances based on fear, anxiousness, anxiety. Mm -hmm. Let me really, really take this to the furthest end. When you're in a state of fear, that brings in fear, fight, or flight. Your brain compartmentalizes. Left brain and right brain shut down. You no longer have the ability to actually fire the neurological pathways between the two required to have rational and logical thought. So if you're in an environment where there's fear, nervousness, and anxiousness, one person or an entire organization, you've literally removed the human factor out of that business because we no longer have logic and reason. Mm. Now we're just reacting. We're moving paper from one pile to the next. We're trying to get something done, but we've, we're no longer doing it as the most empowered version of ourselves. Well, we have techniques that we can teach you to instantly be able to lower your state so you're no longer in a state of fear, change the thought process, draw in more empowered being, change your physiology, align your mental body, your energetic body, and your physical body all into one, walk into a room, be the most empowered version of you, be aware if that energy is different, the people are different, the way that they feel or are being is different than how you feel, enroll them into how you want to be or how you want to feel. And now together, you can lead people in a very, very specific direction to be able to create something truly powerful and magnificent because there is an answer in every single room. There's brilliance in every single person, but that brilliance is only possible if we're no longer stressed, if we're in a state of calm, if we're aligning all of those parts of who we are. This is the stuff we should be teaching kids in school. Mm -hmm. And if you can just think about the power of being able to control how you feel, so your thoughts become more empowered thoughts, those produce more empowered feelings, that creates more empowered energy. You become magnetic. You align people that are like you to you. You take actionable steps in a direction that's leading people to be the most empowered version of themselves. And now all of a sudden, you're the company people are saying, we should be doing what they're doing. We don't know what they're doing, but we should be doing that. Whatever mm -hmm. they're doing, we want that. Because you now become the example of what it looks like. You know, mm -hmm. I, I do everything in the opposite of what, everyone tells you to do in my space. People say, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to post so many times a day. You've got to send these things up. I don't do any of it because I don't take the hard, long, you know, grind approach to running my business. I sit back, I control my thoughts, my feelings, my energy. I beautifully, powerfully, and intentionally take steps forward when opportunities show up. I do it in an empowered state. And then I just align with people who want to do business with me and my business expands. My clients' business expand. And I'm going to pose a question to you. And I really want you to think about this, but does it have to be hard? Or does it get to be easy? Because it can be easy. Success is easy if you allow success to be easy. I wonder about the generational impact sometimes of the kids of baby boomers, for example, who grew up, you know, nose to the grindstone, nine to five, work for a big corp versus this new generation coming into positions of leadership where empowerment and alignment with purpose is starting to get more important in their decision-making. And it gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of hope that we're on the right path and the right direction as a society. I don't know. Have you seen the same for younger generations, just wanting purpose in their job 
now compared I, to before? You know, I'm going to share with you what I find is most fascinating. The majority of my clients are people that used to be the put the nose down, you know, figure it out. And they're the ones wanting purpose. They're the ones wanting to bring purpose into the world. Later in life. Mm. And, and what I love about where we're going in life and in business is we're starting to understand that we are human beings. We're always human beings. We don't walk into an office or into a business and all of a sudden compartmentalize. Well, I'm no longer a married person with a family, with the you know religious beliefs or a way of being when I'm at home. I'm now just this person and I'm just going to do this function and then I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. We actually spend more time, and this isn't news to anybody, but we spend more time at work than we do with the people at home that we love. And then when we go to work, we're expected to stop being who we are so that we can be what the company is expecting of us, except who's actually expecting that, who set that expectation. When you allow people to show up at work and be people, I'm not saying create a circus at work, but I'm saying when you celebrate people for being people, when you celebrate people's strengths, I go into organizations and usually during my VIP days, we will identify certain people in the business where I say, that person really needs to be doing something along those lines. And this person has this skill set they shared with me. If you utilize that skill set in their current function, you're going to get a very different person. When the companies actually implement those things, you start to see the productivity in the workplace go through the roof, profitability go through the roof, because people start to have fun. Mm -hmm. They connect with each other. The number one driver in human-to-human behavior is connection. And connection with people is created. The number one driver in connection is vulnerability. So when you have two people that connect to each other because they share an interest in a sporting event that happened this weekend, or because you know they talk about something they're going through in a personal capacity or something they overcame and they inspire somebody else to be able to do the same, or when a leader, God forbid, a leader steps up and says, you know, I don't know the answer to what we're supposed to do here. And they pause and everyone in the room thinks, oh my God, if the leader doesn't know what we're meant to do, what are we meant to do? And then the leader says, but I'm confident you do. We together can do this. Let's do this. That vulnerability that that leader shows in that one opportunity is going to unify that entire team. It's going to empower everybody to come up. Solutions are all of a sudden going to be created because when a leader says, hey, it's okay, I don't know it, but I'm pretty sure we can figure it out because we're a really bunch of smart people sitting in this room and let's let's do it. And mm-hmm. now you allow the creativity to come in. What that leader's done in that instance, and these are actual examples that I've supported leaders in doing it empowers the people to show up and bring the levels of creativity that they come with because we are all human beings. We all have superpowers. We all have these unique talents, gifts, and abilities. But when we're not showing those at work, we're kind of cutting ourselves off from being who we really are. And Mm -hmm. it's not about changing your job or changing your function. It's just about allowing you to express yourself through what you do at work, bringing purpose into who you are and what you're meant to do so that when you go home at night, you can feel proud about what you're doing. That behavior makes people want to go to work. That behavior makes people want to create friends at work. That behavior actually makes people work harder and longer and produce better results because they enjoy what they're doing because they feel good about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the silver linings that came out of the pandemic, I think, is this beautiful normalcy of working from home and, you know, 
operating in a hybrid environment. I've seen so much growth of, of business over the last few years, just having that flexibility, but also having happier humans that can show up as a whole person to work. And I think it's like everything you've described, it's starting to become the norm. Um, you know, it's, it's less, uh, less popular to have that kind of dictator mentality at work. Now it's more popular to have a, a flexible work environment. I wanted to touch on something though, that I've observed in the last few months in my work and that's teams. So, so the leader of a team, inspiring their people, creating a safe work environment for their humans, et cetera, but the executive team itself, and I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this, sometimes we put that team second because we're so focused on our people that are working day in and day out to accomplish our goals in our department. Can we talk a little bit about that executive team and the importance of vulnerability there too? Because I do find that people put that team second to their department in the executive teams that I'm working with sometimes. I love that you set that up by first introducing COVID because, you know, COVID impacted us globally. And the last time that we were impacted globally was a world war. And during that last world war was also when we changed how we show up in business. It started in corporate America, and then that shifted into all business globally, corporate business. And that was that in world war, every very strong man that went to fight for his country rose through the ranks, became generals and leaders within the armies. And when they came back home, they took high powered positions in corporate America. That's where dictatorship came from. That's where, you know, boys don't cry and we don't show emotion at work and we get a job done and we do it and we cross the line and then we leave because it was a very military styled approach to managing people. And that was when we really started to create the shift of removing the human element from business. We sell everything we have. We sell to humans for somehow is, is to better humans. But when we're actually creating the work, we forget that the humans are required to produce the project and to carry that project across the finish line. And so when we start to revert back to treating people like humans, which is what, in my opinion, and I'm not saying that this is a belief I want everybody to adopt. I just love to look at life and ask more empowered questions. And so when the pandemic came, I sat back and the first thing I said was, what is the pandemic giving me that I've never had before? And that was time, right? Most of us all of a sudden had a tremendous amount of time on our hands. And so I used that time to be able to do something different with my life. Had I not asked the empowering question, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And then I wouldn't have created the impact I created. But another empowering question that came for me out of COVID was asking globally, why did this happen? And then when I started to see the work from home, and in my line of work, I deal with a lot of people that are either executives or executive teams. Obviously, I work with personalities and athletes and so on, and individuals that are wanting to start businesses or up-level their lives, but mostly it's, it's C-suite executives. And here I'm going to get to your answer. When you're dealing with an executive team, and it's in the very beginning of a pandemic, and you've got an executive sitting at a table, and this is now the new boardroom, and it's on a Zoom screen, and their three-year-old son's climbing over them, or the <laughs> kids are coming in to ask for chocolate milk, all of a sudden, they became human. Mm -hmm. And to watch through a pandemic, people that were very stoic, 
and not intentionally, they weren't wanting to be stoic. They were conditioned through a work environment that this is how we need to be. You know, we have kids, but they're in a picture frame on a desk, but they never move. They don't ask <laughs> yeah. for chocolate milk, right? So all of a sudden being forced into an environment where your kid comes and sits in your lap and starts to tug on your screen. And, and my point was, it really brought out a really beautiful side of everyone and it humanized us to our entire teams. When you have leaders all sitting around a room and half the room has got kids, cats and dogs barking and mailmen ringing doorbells, we were reminded everybody has a life outside of a business and you know we get to change a little bit about how we show up. And so I have noticed that in a large majority of organizations, it's softened. People have become a little more human. And when I say softened, I don't mean softened in their work ethic. I don't mean softened in their approach. I don't mean softened in their success, but softened in compassion and kindness. And I remind you, if you are living a life right now, regardless of how successful you are, if you don't have kindness, if you don't have compassion, if you don't have joy and fulfillment in your life, then what are you really doing? Because you're not living. You're not expressing yourself at the greatest version of who you can be. And you're most certainly not impacting people positively if that's your state of being. But when you can soften who you are and be more kind and be more generous and be more wonderful and, and caring and inspire people to take committed action every day towards the vision of your organization and help them feel success and fulfillment by seeing them for who they are, oh my God, I can't think of a more beautiful way to spend your day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. It was There are so many silver linings that came out of that experience one of which was seeing people as a whole person. Absolutely. That energetic, I was just thinking about this when you were talking about being on a screen and, and the ability to read body language, to feel the energy. Um, you almost have to really focus on that a bit harder to feel the energy in a room and pick up on your mental cues rather than actually feel it when you're on a screen. Do you have any tricks for the audience on making sure that you bring your energetic self into these virtual scenarios? <laughs> so I'm going to tell you that I can pick up somebody else's way of being and their energy within seconds of connecting with them, whether that's a phone call a text message through a Zoom call or an in-person interaction because we feel a certain way. And then we feel that way most, that becomes our dominant way of being, a dominant way of feeling. So if I'm a mostly happy-go-lucky guy, I'm going to feel mostly happy-go-lucky. If all of a sudden you call me and I begin to feel anxious, if I was aware prior to the call that I felt happy-go-lucky, and then I became aware that I was now feeling anxious, I could very easily discern and say, oh, that's not coming from me. That's coming from this person or this phone call or this message or this interaction. Mm. And that's what I teach people. And so I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it because it's not rocket science. It's not hard, but I want to remind you, you don't do the work. You don't get to benefit from the reward. This is literally work because you have to every single day action this. And if you do this every single day, I promise you, your life is irrevocably going to change because you will stop living a life by default. You will stop reacting to how other people make you feel. And instead, you'll be responding to how you feel in life. And when you feel a certain way and make educated decisions saying, well, I'm not actually anxious right now, so I'm not gonna make a decision feeling anxious, and you make a more positive, more empowered decision, your decision choices change. In fact, we can talk about the science, but I don't want to bore you, but you act 
activate other parts of the brain you wouldn't otherwise have activated that actually help you make more bolder, braver, powerful decisions. And those are the right ones, but you have to do the work. And so every single day, my advice to your listeners, for the next 66 days, there's science behind the number. For the next 66 days, that's how long it takes to actually create a habit. For 66 days, I want you, before you talk to your spouse, before you pick up your phone, before you turn on the news, before you get any outside stimulation, I want you to deep breathe in and deep breathe out. I'm not asking you to meditate on the top of a mountain or in an ashram. I'm asking you to pay attention to really deep breaths in and really deep breaths out. When you do that, pay attention to how you feel within two, three, four, five minutes of deep breathing. You're going to feel really calm. You're going to feel very collect. You're going to pay attention to the thoughts happening in your mind. Something that happened yesterday, you're going to be reminded of, oh, I've got to get to this function. I've got to do that. Oh, I have to call this person back. I can't believe that person said this or that. And those are the thoughts you're paying attention to. Each of those are accompanied by an emotion. All you need to do is acknowledge the thought, acknowledge the emotion tied to it. So if I think about that person that said something to me, oh, that doesn't feel good. That makes me feel insecure or anxious or mad. I just pay attention to it and I let it go. I focus back on my breathing until I feel really calm. When I am calm, void of outside emotion, what does that feel like? Mm. And then I anchor that feeling. It's like I put a pin on a map into that feeling. And I'm like, okay, so that's who I am when I'm not responding to my wife, my kids, my dogs. And I do that work before the world wakes up. Mm. Then when I go into a boardroom, when I meet an entire organization, and all of a sudden, I feel the energy in that room, I can then privately turn to the CEO and say, well, this is how your company feels, because I'm physically feeling yeah. what that energy feels like. Mm -hmm. And when you can wow. do that, you become the most powerful person in that room. I want to be clear, when I say the most powerful person, I'm not talking about having dominion over someone. I'm talking about being the most empowered the person that's not reacting to situational circumstance, but instead purposefully, carefully, calculatedly, and intentionally choosing what to do next. Mm. And so if I could walk in a room and feel tremendous nervousness, anxiousness, anxiety, and stress, and then say to a leader of an organization, okay, well, this is my experience of what's happening here. I know how to put that into words. I know how to identify it because I've done the work. Your customers walking into that room, they're just feeling the anxiousness they don't know what's coming from the people or the leader or the situation or the circumstance. They just feel it. But if they haven't done the work I'm suggesting, they're going to process that as a disconnect. They're going to process that as an insecurity. They're going to process that as distrust. And so they're not going to do business with you. And if you can create an environment where your people feel calm, relaxed, uh, engaged, excited, that's going to have a ripple effect with every other person that comes into that environment. I've taken this into businesses that have been stuck at $500,000 and they want to break through the billion dollar mark and they've broken through the billion dollar mark, not touching product marketing, just people, how the people show up. And in very short amount of time, I've taken the same principles, the same philosophies, and I've put them into really small businesses that want to just break through and make $100,000 in a single month. And we've been able to do that again, same techniques, same process, approaching people, and then looking at what are the inefficiencies inside of the business, who do we use? And these things are so easily adopted into a business, but it has to happen with your core team. And that's where you really set your question up with, 
your executives, your C-suites, the guys mm-hmm. that are making the decisions, they need to buy into the process. And so mm-hmm. it's always going to start at the top and that's going to create the biggest impact throughout an organization that really stands the test of time because it becomes cultural within an organization and then becomes easy. And it's not something you manage, it just happens. And then it's, like I said, magnetic. It draws more and more like-minded people, clients, opportunities, and uh, inspiration just really truly begins to flow inside of an organization in the most beautiful way. It's incredible. You know, back to that mind talks to the body, body talks to the energy. It's creating that trick of breathing in and breathing out at the beginning of the day or before you enter into a, a situation. It creates the first trick, which is the mind getting aware of what's happening up there, which then, like you said, influences the body and the chemistry and then the energy outside of you. That's really incredible. Something as simple as a breath. In saying that, when you walk into boardrooms, <laughs> this is this is such a weird thing when energy and business, they don't come together very often. And your work is so unique in that sense. So tell me how it's received. Is it almost always received with openness or do you get, do you get, you know, tell me how it's received in the corporate America, um, bringing energy into business. I'm very curious. So, you know, you said something interesting, the way you phrased the question and that it's not often brought into business. And I want to clarify whether you are aware of it or not, it is always it's there. in every <laughs> facet of life. The real question is how many leaders are bringing the awareness into the business or into the boardroom. Mm -hmm. And so I have uh, a thriving business. And and the reason I answer the question that way is I'm every single day met with people that are open and receptive to doing something a little bit different. I think that inside of us, we all know the way we're doing it is hard. The way we're doing it is mechanical. The way that we're doing it is wrong. And there has to be an easier way Most times I meet people and they are kind and wonderful and generous. I want to tell you 70, 80% of the executives that I work with behind closed doors, they cry within the first hour of talking to me. They have moments, breakthroughs. They just sit there and sob. And then, you know, it's like they have to collect themselves to be able to go back because they are just dying to have vulnerability. They're dying to just have somebody to say like, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know how to, or I just need this release, this pressure release that's constantly sitting on me. I've worked with some people that are part of the the YPO and they say that the number one reason why they like being part of this organization is so they can have like-minded people at a high level to privately share with their secrets about how they feel about work or the inability to do something or to get insight because the higher you go, the smaller your circle gets. And what I really love is that today, majority of the people that I work with, they're starting to say, well, I've always felt like it could be easier. I felt like there's an easier way. And when you give them enough information in an easily digestible format, where you're not bringing in woo-woo, you're not bringing in a tremendous amount of uh, uncomfortable terminology, we're still very corporate in the approach that we take. But when you're bringing in information that says, hey, when you walk into a room, you can feel the energy of that room. And when you teach somebody how to pay attention to how they feel, and then you send them into a room and they come back and they say to you, oh my gosh, you are 100% right. Like I could feel that. I, I actually sat and experienced that in that meeting or in that room. And when you can give them really simple disciplines, 
they become believers. And when they become believers, they align people. Have you ever been to a restaurant that you just loved? And then you told everybody you know about that amazing restaurant or watched that movie and you then became a raving fan of the movie. The people I work with become raving fans of the principles that we teach. And then they want to tell everybody about what they're experiencing because it's like an aha moment. And when you create that in an organization and everyone starts to have those aha moments, it just becomes this massive, beautiful ripple effect. A few weeks ago, I did a leadership, a three-day leadership event. It was in Cancun. We had 250 people from all over the world. I want to say around 50, maybe 60% of the people were men from Eastern Europe. Mm. Very stoic, no emotion. They, they were very well put together, suits, even if it was business casual, they came suited and booted and they were representing and, and they were really do strong, dominant uh, personalities. And on the very first day, when I closed out an entire day's worth of trainings, I ended the day by saying, I love you. I said, I want you to hear me that we are love. We come from love. And when we begin to lead with love, we become the most empowered version of ourselves. The next day, when I walked in to start the training, there's you know always a line of a few people who want to talk to you beforehand. I got hug after hug after hug after hug from teary-eyed grown men saying, I love you, my brother. Thank you, man. I love you. Then I saw other men hugging other men. I love you. And now they were men and women in this room. And I'm not discrediting, but women are so much more easily kind and compassionate and supportive and encouraging Whereas a lot of men are very structured and stoic in their approach. And I sat back and just watched it. When I took the stage on day two, I said, I want to acknowledge something that, that happened that wasn't here yesterday. I said, you guys brought love into the room and everyone, 250 people stood up and started clapping. I, I mean, it wasn't, it was beautiful. Now yeah, imagine yeah. what does it look like when those 250 leaders go back into the 3000 person organization? And they start leading with love and kindness and compassion. And that's the beauty of what, what we're spreading in the world. And I think people are ready for it. Absolutely. I think they're ready for it too. And, and they're craving it. Um, and I'm really, really hopeful that this shift that you're propelling in the world will find a far reach. I really think that that people are craving this now in business, you know, and, and if, it, if we can create data <laughs> to support the growth and the profitability and all the things shareholders want to hear, then it just makes it that much easier as a path to an entry point for some of these people that are, we'll call it less comfortable with some of the terminology or what have you. One more thing I just wanted to talk about was the, the energy of fear as almost it sucks you back down. Like you have your, you've raised your frequency, you're feeling great. You're feeling the love, you're propelling the love forward, but then somebody else's fear in the, in the boardroom say can really affect you. So will that breathing technique that you mentioned help us see that for what it is separate from ourselves, do you think? Because I find sometimes I can even get sucked down into a lower frequency based on someone else's fear in my career. We're always drawing information uh, from everywhere around us. And we don't always understand what the information is coming to us because some of that information is through verbal communication and some of it is through energy. Mm -hmm. And so if you are having a conversation with somebody, they're saying the right words, they look the part, but you just don't trust them. You don't like them. 
You feel like you want to get away from them as fast as you can. Your mind is logically trying to process what it is seeing and hearing, but there is information there that you just can't put your finger on. So it is going to create an impact in you. Mm. When you can start to discern the difference between how you feel and then what you're picking up and then making decisions from that and stepping away from that because you're going to trust the feeling of, I really don't like how this feels, so I'm going to create some separation. You then create the space to discern the difference between the two. The breathing technique that I gave you is really just the opening conversation to a really, really long conversation about a new way of being. We have to challenge who we used to be and how we get to be now. We have to change our terminology. We have to change how we show up. We don't have to go to work. I don't have to go to this meeting. I get to go to this meeting. I get to impact these people. I get to be a leader that creates leaders of leaders. And, and I get to show up in the world. And so when I say that, I'm not impacted by the negative things as easily. Mm-hmm. When I'm walking into a, in a street or walking down a hallway and I meet someone and this person is a negative Nancy, not picking on poor Nancy's out there, but mm-hmm. you meet a negative Nancy in the hallway or at the water cooler and they just immediately offload on you. You are going to be impacted by that because that energy and information comes with the intensity. The more they've thought that, the more they felt that, the more strong that emotion is thrown at you. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't done the work, you're going to absorb that as your own, walk away, and it's going to lower your state of being. When you do the deep breathing that I suggested, and I remind you and your audience, this is an opening dialogue, but just the 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes of deep breathing in the morning, you're going to set your dominant state of being. That's how you're going to feel. And energetically, emotionally, and physically, your body is going to be at that state as its barometer for the rest of the day. So when something happens, positive or negative, it's going to either pick you up from that or drop you from that momentarily, but you're going to come back to where you felt first in the morning. The first 20 minutes of your day, your brain is trying to remember who you used to be, and it's drawing from all inspiration around you. In the first 20 minutes of the human mind, it's open to the most receptive information. It's drawing from anywhere, and that sets its dominant state. People that wake up and grab their cell phones and read work emails and immediately get stressed and turn on the stocks or Mm -hmm. they talk to their spouse and have an argument or they step on Legos that their kid left on the floor, whatever it is that's going to create that heightened emotional state. And you feel that in the first 20 minutes of your day, that's where you are anchoring yourself for the rest of the day. So when you do the deep breathing as an example, and you feel really good about yourself, you are now setting yourself up for maximum success. When you don't do that, you are lowering your potential of feeling good or feeling expansive. Because when you turn on the news or you open up social media, you go onto Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn, you are just receiving trillions of bits of data all the time. And your brain is setting an opinion on that. It's rubbing an old limiting belief wound, or it's making you think about the latest forest fires or the amount of snow coming in this weekend or whatever's happening, that is your way of being. Or you could choose to be empowered, excited, motivated, and then operate from that vantage point. I have a number of steps that I go through to set myself up to be the most empowered version of myself. And 
That's really what I bring into organizations. And that's how I teach people. And they are really simple things that you can do each and every single day to lead you to be the most empowered version of yourself. I love that. And the most empowered version of yourself and who you truly are, as you mentioned before, is the calm self, is the self where mind, body, spirit are all one, even if it's for a few minutes in the morning each day. And so if if there is, isn't a better, you know, tactic, I don't know what the, you know, something in the morning that gets you back to yourself, maybe that's meditation or breathing as you described it. I know some people don't like the word meditation, but just calm, you know, if it's sitting with a coffee, maybe, and looking out the window at the birds and just feeling the coffee in your hand for 10 minutes, maybe that also could help, you know, just set the frequency for the day. I love that. I love so that. I need to do more of that. I want to change that word meditation for a second because meditation has a stigma and people mm-hmm. hear meditation and they immediately conjure an image in their mind of a monk sitting atop a mountain, you know, <laughs> going on. And that's not meditation. The word meditation is observing your mind. Mm-hmm. You have anywhere from 35,000 to 50,000 thoughts a day. The majority of those thoughts are subconscious or unconscious, meaning you're not aware of them. They're just happening. And if you are not actively engaged in anything, meaning you're sitting on a couch with your cup of coffee, you're looking at the birds and you're just breathing, you become aware of the thoughts. Then you start to see the pattern. Every one of those thoughts are producing an emotion. The emotion and the thought compounded together drive all of your behavior. I I literally gave you in the beginning of today's episode Thoughts produce feelings, thoughts and feelings drive behavior. So if you want to change something in your life, you've got to change one of those three things. Everybody, all the coaches coming out of the woodworks today are trying to change behavior. You've got to grind more. You've got to achieve more. You've got to work harder. And does that work? Is it possible to create that change? Absolutely. In a very short amount of time for very short spurts, because what we're not doing is changing the formula. You've got to go back and change something that is irrevocably changing everything else. Change either the thoughts or how you feel about them. So let's go back to COVID. Everyone on the planet experienced COVID. And when COVID happened, how did you feel about it? How long did you feel that? And then what did you choose to feel or did you continue to feel the same way? I know people that suffered tremendous loss in COVID. I lost people in my life through COVID. And so I'm not taking away from the devastation of what COVID brought and the havoc it wreaked in a lot of our lives, but there was a gift. And are we looking at that gift and saying, what was the golden lining? What was the silver lining? What what, what was the benefit or the gain? Because there's a benefit in everything. And when we take the time to sit back, ask a more empowered question, spend some time in thought, see what the gifts are, we can then do something better with it. And so COVID very quickly became a beautiful gift to me. And my business exploded. And the lives of the clients I work with exploded. And the benefits just continue to get bigger and better and better because we began to look at opportunity, not sitting and feeling victimized in a situation or circumstance. And we do that every single day. We're either empowered or we victimized. And who do you want to be? And when you wake up in the morning and you turn on the news, you open up social media, you read your work email, your brain says, great, whatever I just read, that's where I'm going to be. How many times did you wake up this week, turn on the news and find out you won the lottery or that you got a promotion (laughs) or you gained a new client in the first 20 minutes of your day? Because if you didn't, 
you were being negatively felt to feel like a victim, not in control and not in, in power or in, in uh, control of what was happening in your life. But when you intentionally choose how you want to feel, it has major ripple effects in the rest of your life. I uh, would love to give a gift to you and your listeners. And I hadn't initially planned on doing it, but our conversation so beautifully went there. I have a new book that is coming out about aligning your team with your vision. And it's a how to scale your business by aligning your team with your vision. And it truly walks people and then organizations through how to create that shift. And everything we spoke about today, not knowing this was where our conversation was going to go today, has beautifully lent mm -hmm. itself for me to make that offer. So I would like to give that as a free gift to your listeners. And I'll send you the link and you can put it in the show notes. Fantastic. Thank you, Rudy. Where can people find you for our listeners who want to who want to learn more about what you can do for their business? Where can they find you? I am on uh, line at rudyricksteins.com. I'll share the link with you because the spelling is just uh, one mm -hmm. of those. I go by Rudy. You say, what's your name? It's just Rudy. <laughs> so I'm at rudyricksteins.com. You can also obviously find me through the same name at LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, but I am easily accessible through my website. I would love to connect with anybody who is wanting to take a little more accountability in their life and their business. I really want to say this to, to your audience. You know, people want to lead and they think they want to lead a business because they want to make money or they want to do something or they want to achieve something. And I want you to hear me when I say you think that that's what you want if that's what you're thinking. Mm. Because what you really want is to create an impact on the people that you're working with. To be a leader in any capacity, whether you lead a department of two or whether you lead 10,000 people, you have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to be the best version of you when you go into work because you are teaching people how to be through a state of being. How you show up, people are learning how to be, how to react, how to respond. Think back to all the leaders that taught you how to lead, the way you react and respond. It's, it's taught behavior. Mm -hmm. When you become the most empowered version of you, when you bring personality, love, life, vulnerability back into a business and you irrevocably change that business, you've empowered people to be the best versions of themselves. Those people are going to work for you longer, harder. They're going to be more committed. And yes, your business is going to make more money, but you're going to go to bed at night feeling the most fulfilled. And I've never met a person in my life that doesn't want to be or feel more fulfilled. And I know what it looks like to go to bed every single night and just thinking about how blessed I am, how grateful I am for what I've done, who I've impacted and what life looks like today. I never go to bed thinking about the dollars in my bank accounts or the next big thing I'm going to tackle. It's the people. And when we can connect to the responsibility, the moral obligation we have to lead people as the best versions of ourselves through discipline and demonstration, it is the most fulfilling life that you can ever live. And so- I encourage you find that from anyone, anywhere, but but really do the work to become the best version of yourself. I I highly recommend it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the the time, but mostly for the work that you're doing and the change that you're making in the world, Rudy. It's impactful. It's having a ripple effect already. Um, so thank you for your time today. And I, I will share in the show notes all of the links where you can reach Rudy and his team. And you have a wonderful rest of your day. I appreciate you. Have an amazing day. And yes, as you so beautifully said, time is by far single most invaluable resource. And I just appreciate you and your audience spending some time with me. I appreciate oh, you guys. Likewise. Much love. Take care. Bye. Bye.